Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nexus Podcast. I'm your host, James Dice. Each week, I fire questions at the leaders of the smart buildings industry to try to figure out where we're headed and how we can get there faster without all the marketing fluff. I'm pushing my learning to the limit, and I'm so glad to have you here following along. This episode is a conversation with Jim Meacham and Elliot Alvarez of Altura Associates. We talked about how analytics technology can and should transform the construction process and lead to better outcomes for owners, developers, contractors, and operators. From my standpoint, Altura is the pioneer of analytics-based commissioning. So we unpack the story behind that, but then we widen our gaze to the entire construction process and how analytics is changing that whole game. This is a fascinating look at the past and future of construction and one of the keys to developing high-performance and decarbonized buildings. So without further ado, please enjoy the Nexus podcast with Altura Associates. Hello, Jim and Elliot. Welcome to the show. It's great to have you guys on. Can we start with you, Jim? Can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Jim Meacham. I'm one of the principals and founders of Altura Associates, uh, mechanical engineer, by training, been in the HVAC energy controls business for about 19 years now, and uh, an avid Nexus Labs fan, and, and happy to be here. So thanks for having us. Yeah, thanks for coming on. Elliot, how about you? Can you introduce yourself and give us a little hint at your background? Sure, yeah. Not, not too dissimilar from Jim's background in mechanical engineering and doing design of HVAC systems for a while and then have shifted into commissioning of the built environment after that. So uh, Jim's got a few years on me. I'm probably 15 years in the industry or something like that and associate principal with Altura. Cool. And I, I first came in contact with Altura. I met Matt Schwartz in, I think, 2017-ish. But you guys have been thought leaders in, in this whole commissioning world, which will unpack analytics world for a really long time. So thank you back. You guys are big Nexus fans. I'm also a big Altera fan. So I appreciate that. And shout out to Matt. Matt, Matt and I have collaborated a bunch and I'm sure he'll listen to this and, and smile. So Jim, tell me about before I heard of Altera, can you talk about founding it? What were you doing before? And then what was the impetus for, for creating the company? Yeah, it's a good, good question. So we're coming into our 10th year now, which is kind of hard to believe. I, I'll never forget how old Altera is because my son was born three months after we founded Altera. So you can imagine what that time was like. You know, yep. like on my laptop in the hospital in the early days. So pretty exciting memories. But yeah, the, the story goes back actually a, a, a couple of firms ago. A number of us, including Elliot, worked together at a sustainability consulting firm, which also did energy work, but much broad, more broad lead and, and kind of master planning level sustainability work. And that was fun. It was a sole proprietorship. It got sold just you know, older owner needed transition and uh, we got bought and uh, didn't work out super well. We'll just leave it at that. So we took the opportunity to say, you know, we've got a great team. What's the best thing we could do to impact the industry? And so that's what Altura was born out of. We're a mission driven firm. Our mission is to improve the performance of the built environment. And what we did was we focused the, the energy of, of our firm coming out of this kind of broad sustainability, which is great, but kind of leads to too many paths. And we said, what we were really good at and what we can have the most impact on is energy and building performance. Okay. So let's, let's be focused and let's do that. And we had a few mantras back then and our values like are the same. We revisit it every year, but it's like core values are the same. And one of the mantras was, we don't wanna write reports anymore. We wanna implement projects, like no more reports. And we still say that today because every time you're spending time writing a report, it's less time that you're actually getting something done. So we're super impact implementation, get it done focus, we kind of, tweak the professional services model a little bit to allow us to be in that space. And uh, 
yeah, we try to be disruptive and push the industry forward. That's our, 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 our game. And we've had a, a whole bunch of fun over the last 10 years doing that. Cool. And, and what type of um, clients do you work for? And then how do you get involved on those clients' projects? Sure. I guess taking a step back, what do we do actually within that context first, right? Like we do, obviously we're talking about analytics and commissioning. So we do a lot of analytics work. We're going to talk about that. We do a lot of commissioning work. We're going to talk about what that is all around the built environment, right? With buildings. We also do a lot of building automation system work. You mentioned Matt Schwartz. He's our uh, lead in building automation and disrupting that whole market, which has its own energy and thread deeply intertwined with the discussion topic today. And we also do a lot of environmental programs work, which is managing large scale environmental improvement programs for like automotive dealers and healthcare agencies. They have goals. Like we want to reach 30% reduction, 50% reduction of carbon emissions. And, you know, you can have a censure or McKinsey come write you a report that says you should have 30% or 50% reduction, but how do you actually do that? Yeah. That's where we, that's what we can do. We can connect that strategy to like in the building, this is what we're doing to achieve those results over time and monitor and use analytics, obviously, right. To pers- get the persistence and, and performance. So that's the what and the who part, you know, we, we have a pretty um, varied business. I would say we do a lot of work in the university space. Uh, we do a lot of work in the healthcare space. So some of our big clients in the university space, University of California, I think we work for like half of the UCs, Caltech, Stanford, we've done some work. So a lot of those in the university space and then healthcare, Kaiser, Sharp, MD Anderson. So some of the major healthcare enterprise level and then corporate too. We do a decent amount of corporate work like NBC, Universal, Honda and others that are kind of most of our engagements tend to be like big campuses or big enterprises. That's where we kind of do the best work okay. instead of single project kind of work. Cool. So we're going to kind of zoom in. We talked about a bunch of different types of projects there. We're going to kind of zoom in on commissioning a little bit today and the construction process. Elliot, I'd love to get for you to give us kind of an introduction to commissioning. Like if I'm listening to the Nexus podcast, commissioning probably hasn't been brought up for like 60 episodes, something like that. So if, if I'm totally new and I'm just coming to this from, I, I care about technology and buildings, but I have no idea what the hell commissioning is. Can you just give us just an intro, you know, the types of commissioning, what the scope is, that kind of thing? Sure, sure, yeah. Um, I think that the... You know, commissioning for the built, there's commissioning for a lot of different industries, but particularly for the commissioning for the built environment has like really become more and more commonplace. And you know, we're in California, we do a lot of our work in California here. So like that's it's mandated by code um, and has become that way for a while. But I think it's got, you know, a rationale from the transitions that the building industry has gone through where, you know, hundreds of years ago, you would just kind of, if you were an institutional client, you would go hire a builder and there would kind of just be like one person that you would like really, or one entity that is like in control of the quality of your building. And I think that the construction industry has gotten like, there's a lot more parties involved with it now and buildings have gotten a lot more complex. And I think, you know, like I've covered pretty well on your podcast, like how complex buildings are getting, especially in the recent past. But it's worth just kind of like recognizing just like how hard it is to make just even a simple building. There's like millions upon millions of things that all have to go right to get the building to stand up and like it's windows to open and close and, you know, the heating and cooling systems to nominally do okay. And so the commissioning industry in new construction came about because there just needed to be some sort of quality control, like somebody kind of like looking out for the owner's interest in actually getting a building that works. And so that's new construction commissioning is essentially an advocate for the building owner to validate that their building is nominally right. There's other flavors of commissioning. Existing building commissioning is kind of 
taking that same kind of like, is it right type of mindset to any building that's already been built. And so, you know, hey, this building was supposed to do this thing. Let's kind of take a systematic approach to validating that it's still operating as best as it can. And there's a couple different flavors within existing building commissioning of ongoing commissioning or retro commissioning or, you know, different names for it, but it's all kind of boils back up to like, can, can we make this building right again? And there's also, you know, if you want to get really specific, there's a commission of specific systems, right? So you can be commissioning an AV system or, you know, like a pharmacy kind of like pressurization system. There's like very discrete commissioning activities, but they're all kind of based on like, let's set up a really rigorous QA, QC process that's got a well-defined process and validate, is this building right? Yeah. And everyone knows what the process is before the project and then you do it and then it's very clear whether there's pass or fail for each system that gets commissioned clear-ish. Yeah. And I think like that's, that's the theory, right? The practice of that, which is like why we're talking about that today is like, it's a lot grayer, right? There's kind yeah. of like our industry has kind of evolved into like, oh, there's a commissioning agent. We just kind of get them to say, is the building right? But like nobody really recognizes the fact that there's actually a lot of gray area in that. And so, and that's on good projects, right? Like we, like Jim said, we work a lot with institutional clients and who really do care about this, but there's plenty of code mandated commissioning. That's just a check the box exercise, right? And so it has devolved a little bit into that as well. Yeah, the biggest gray area I've been a part of on the projects I've worked on is like whose fault is it and who, who should fix it when something is found. That's, yeah. that's always been the biggest problem. And it always like goes back to like follow it up to the top of whoever's managing this thing. And it's like the commissioning agent just doesn't quite had quite have the authority everyone wishes they would when they're in that position. Yeah, I would say the data have the authority if you have the right data, but we can get there. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great segue. But first yeah. I wanna ask you guys real quick, can you talk about, so we just introduced commissioning. I'd also like to introduce, for, for everyone who's waiting for tech, us to talk about tech, just hold on. We also need to set the context a little bit more, which is like, what is construction? Which is, I don't mean that, like we understand how like buildings get built, but what are the phases? And, and like, what does the commissioning agent do in each of those phases? Good question. There's probably a lot of different answers to that. You know, there's a lot of different kind of like project delivery methods that will pick and choose different kind of like restructure that at its highest level, right? There's some sort of design phase. And then there's some sort of kind of like getting ready to do construction phase. And then there's the construction phase. And then, you know, the real pointy end there's like the testing and validation phase right at the end of commissioning or right at the end of the construction. And then there's the operations phase where the building's turned over to the client and, you know, they get to, to live with that building forevermore. And like I said, a lot of different ways to pick and choose, like maybe reorder, maybe, maybe it's a design build contractor. So we're kind of mashing together some of the design and construction phases, but at its highest level, that's, that's what the phases are. Cool. From a commissioning perspective, it's worth saying that oh, yeah. the ideal commissioning process for a building starts in design, where you have this third party looking from that perspective, a different perspective of the other interested parties and in, in how it's being designed, how it's being procured, and how it's being constructed, and obviously then tested and validated. So that through line is super important to, to have that kind of perspective of how do we set it up to be successful from an operations perspective? I mean, it's worth noting, right, that most design engineers don't ever get to see how the building they design operates. If you think about the phases we just discussed, because the design phase might be a year, let's say, and then your construction phase might be two years. And then it goes into operations, you know, and you have the testing and validation and, and the engineer is maybe around a little bit, might've gone to a different firm, right? Like it's, and they have really not much feedback unless there's a major problem, right? Mm -hmm. So it's a really kind of broken loop from an engineering perspective in that sense. And, and the, 
the idea of the commissioning agent is to try to connect it more operations back. We, you know, as commissioning agents, we get to see a lot of projects, way more projects than a design engineer, because you know, we're seeing dozens of projects finish every year and how they actually do with the systems and sequences and technologies they have in them. So, so it's it's a it's an interesting breakage that that commissioning is kind of solving for to some degree. Cool. All right. I think that's good context. Let's let's talk about technology now. So so you guys, and I don't remember who exact, exactly the authors were from Altera. You guys wrote this article in Ashray Journal. I want to say 2016, something like that. That's right. Yeah. 2016. Five years ago. We'll link to that in the show notes. It was called something along the lines of connected commissioning. And I remember my mind just being like, it was, so I, I was doing analytics-based retro commissioning at the time. Like the firm I was at just viewed commissioning as like this other department. And I remember my mind just being like, well, duh, <laughs> like, why aren't we doing it over there too? And I was like running our analytics-based services. And I read this article and I was just like, just like went over and handed it to the, the commissioning lead. It's like, we need to do this on the next project. So will you talk about kind of the history of that, Jim? Yeah, getting to that point. That's a good one. Yeah, that was 2016. Data analytics from cradle to grave. And it was, I got a shout out to Adam yeah. Roloff, who was the main author on that. And I, I helped him do that. But yeah, rewind, right? So we started Altura, going back to that story, back in 2013, the beginning of 2013. And we had this focus on getting it done, impact, and being laser focused on that. We had just started to use data analytics at the time. We had flirted around with it for a while as commissioning agents, right? As the people who kind of have this responsibility of making the building work, we're in there, we're testing, we're tuning, we're working with controls contractors and everybody and making it work. And then you walk away from the project and you have no insight under the traditional model. You know, this is for us, this is like mid 2000s. And you hope that it keeps working well. All the effort, the hundreds of hours and blood, sweat and tears you put in these projects and but you walk away and you have no idea unless you get a call and the only time you ever get that call is not to say, hey, man, this thing's working great still three months later. Like That call doesn't ever happen, right? right. You get the call with, it's all screwed up. You know? And then my reaction is, what did you do? And because it <laughs> did work, right? But I have no, I, I can't help, right? I have no way of helping. And so it's pretty unsatisfying to have, even, even if you never get that call that it's not working, just to not know. And yeah, you can go back 10 months, you know, lead says go back in 10 months and like hear everybody, but that's, that's a paper exercise, right? To a large extent, I'm probably being dramatic there, but still like you really don't have any visibility. And so- I would say actually maybe Jim, I'll, I'll butt in here too. Cause there's like, you mentioned being unsatisfied about like you walk away from it, but there's also, like the realities of the construction process mean that like even like a lot of times on projects you walk away from testing and you're like i hope it works because you're yeah. doing testing on systems where it's like oh sorry the doors got delayed and so we can't really do building pressure testing right now because like the doors are like not here so you're kind of like like well i was kind of scheduled to come out here to do this and it's like we can kind of guess but like you're there's also the unsatisfaction of like, you've done your best to try to get it to work, but just the realities of construction mean that you, you never really feel like I nailed it, right? With yeah. like absolute certainty that like everything is gonna work forever. And so there was that frustration piece of it too. Yeah, that's a really good point. I mean, add to that, right? Like when we're testing at that phase in construction, there's not a single occupant in that building doing what they're going to do to that, you know, so it's like, what yeah. are you really testing under? It's not real, right? It's, it's uh, never going to be accurate to what the building's going to see. So yeah, you add all this together and we, in the mid two thousands, we started playing around with building our own analytics stuff, database on the back, you know, jamming in connections to the back end of Johnson controls, SQL databases. And it was, 
you know, hacked together, brittle, but man, when you could get data, it was amazing, right? And I could hit a button and get new data. And fast forward a little bit of kind of messing around at that level, because there weren't a lot of analytics platforms available, especially like for users like us as engineers. And then we got introduced to Sky Foundry, who developed SkySpark around 2010. And it's more of a platform approach, which works well for us and as energy engineers. And so we started using SkySpark around 2011. The very first project we used, put SkySpark on for new construction, was the Conrad and Hilton Foundation headquarters. It's up in Agoura Hills. Zero net energy, super, you know, pushing the envelope design. It's a fanless HVAC system, buoyancy driven, underfloor oh. air, operable dampers and louvers to catch the wind and do all these things. A super cool building, but very complex, never really had been done in the US. It was a WSP flak and curse design. And uh, we just decided going into it like, hey, this, we're, we're just kind of getting our feet wet with what data analytics is in SkySpark. Like, let's just throw it on this project. We had no idea really how to pull it into the process, but like, let's just throw it on here. And I, I think some good will come of it. And it was yeah. painful, super, super painful, right? The first time that you're trying to get data from all these systems and normalize the data in some useful way. And how do you build analytics? I mean, but, but we just said, we're just going to do it and, and see what happens. And I am so like looking back on that, by the way, we're still collecting and getting data from that building and to this day, our very first building, right? 10 years on. But that that design was so complex and, and so nuanced. If we didn't have data analytics, we would have never made that building work. It took three years to get that building to work. And it, you know, the sequences of operations, we had to do some design changes throughout. Like it was a very complex building. I mean, we could have a whole podcast on that thing. But I think the moral of the story is that, you know, that experience of going through that and you could ask anyone that was, there's a lot of people involved with that project from contractors, owner, you know, our team, the building would never have worked in my mind without data analytics to really see the patterns and relationships that allowed us to solve problems. Um, in a normal, just building automation system context, you couldn't sit there and observe enough <laughs> and pull trends into Excel enough to ever see it. So that kind of lit our fire, right? Where we said, wow, like this is game changer. Now we just have to get better at this. And so for a while we were kind of doing some projects with analytics and some projects without analytics in the kind of 2014, 15 range, but we were committed to more and more analytics. And so building our own methods or making it easier and easier and easier to get connected, use Haystack to tag the data and, and make meaning out of the data. And we got some bumps and bruises along the way for sure. But we've stayed true to like, we know that having the data is gonna improve our process and make us more satisfied with what we can deliver for our clients. And we, we were for, really fortunate to have some forwardly thinking clients like Caltech, Matt Burbay, who's now at NBC Universal. He's a huge mind in the industry. He, he saw the power. He said, wait, we can add such a level of transparency and uh, accountability to the process with this. Like, let's just start doing it. A lot of that article, that ASHRAE article is work we did at Caltech in that time period to build a new commissioning program around it. So that's really what led up to that. And we just stayed true to, we're going to make this work. We don't know what we're doing yet. We're both from a technology perspective, using the technology, but also the process. It's disruptive to the whole process now to have to use analytics and that's its own thing. But we stayed on that course. And now we, we literally don't do projects without analytics. I mean, or, you know, very, very few little parts of projects where we wouldn't use analytics and, and it's much more efficient and, and, and much more impactful. It's beautiful. And, and one of the things I hope to get out of this producing this podcast episode is that we have a lot of building owner listeners these days. And if you don't have analytics-based commissioning as a standard part of your capital project process, 
I would highly encourage you to start looking at doing so. Because what if you if you don't, you have a number one, a suboptimal process, but you're then putting it on the commissioning agent to then try to reconstruct the process from their vantage point when really ideally it would come from the top. It would come from the person sort of designing the development process, designing the capital process. You guys have had a, a long, hard road to get to this point, but I know that now many of your clients have its standard to do it with analytics now. Is that right? That's right. Yep. Yeah, that's that's been a really cool transformation that we're seeing in the industry. You know, both our, you know our clients were the early adopters because we're pushing it, and then they're seeing the value, and it's like let let's standardize this across the the enterprise, right? Across the campus, whatever it may be. We have Kaiser is a great example, really forward looking, you know, enterprise wide. How do we improve this process and make it performance driven with analytics? And that's really changing the market. And now we see others. We, we, when we know, you, you know, you've changed the market when someone comes and asks you for something that without you having to sell it to them. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yes. I, yes, we do. We can do that. Thank you for asking. We got that. Yeah. <laughs> we kind of invented that. Uh, <laughs> let, let's get super practical here. Elliot, we'll go over to you. Sure. Let's like name out, I'm doing the traditional commissioning construction process versus I'm doing it with analytics. I'll start us off like in a normal construction process or commissioning process, you're going to like functionally test 10% of all of the, you know, smaller terminal unit type equipment out there with analytics. You can then test them, test them using air quotes here with fault detection and diagnostics hundred percent. So that's like just that right there could be valuable enough, but there are like five or six different different value propositions. What are a few more of them? Yeah, I think you've, you've nailed kind of a, a big one. And I think that it's worth kind of like exploring that for different industries because it's one thing for like a, a VAV, right? Like sampling 10% of an office VAV is like, okay. But, you know, if you're doing a hospital project, you know, you kind of, have to test every single room because every single one of those matters. And so yeah. that that's a huge amount of resources. I and mean, if you can come up with a way to, you know, do that in a more robust way that, you know, like we've said is like, not just like one point in time, which is like, I've got my most junior commissioning agent out there uh, who's just going to go around to all these different VAV boxes in these operating rooms or, you know, holding rooms and kind of just takes shoot some temperatures like that's not that's yes that's doing every single one of them but that's probably not the most robust way to make sure that you are are actually validating the, the operation of those so you know it's it's a hundred percent equipment that you can do but also the longevity of what you're looking at is is a huge thing of, of moving from a point in time to a a continuous kind of swath of of data and, and most importantly, bringing that swath of data up onto, you know, turnover, because in a traditional approach, you know, you could go out and do your air handling functional test, and then it's two months until that, that uh, building's turned over. And in that intervening time, all sorts of stuff has happened. And like, who knows if that thing is actually still performing. And so when the owner and operator gets the keys, they're like this air handler doesn't do anything I want it to, and then that's just like then then you got to go chase chase your tail and kind of figure out what happened in those intervening two months. So, yeah, moving from a single point to a swath is is a real real value totally. proposition. And the other one I would add to that too is being able to do system testing. Yeah. So it's it's often hard in a traditional commissioning approach to do coordinated system testing, but when you use software and you can do automated testing, which is a thing that we've developed and kind of pioneered in that article, right? So you can automatically test all these systems. And when you, for example, like load up the terminal zone level systems for cooling or heating, that loads up the system, you know, the air system and stress tests that, which also stress tests the hydronic chiller plant or hot water plant system. So you can really start to do these coordinated tests and really like anytime you want, because it's software, it doesn't cost you anything else to hit the button once you set it up again. That's kind of a game changer we found. 
as well. And a practical thing. Go ahead, Elliot. Yeah, I was, I was, I think the, you know, that kind of like hit the button to test it is like a, is a really fun idea, right? And it's like something that is uh, doable and practical. But I think that also doesn't just matter for the construction phase that can bleed into the operations phase. And so I think that's another big value proposition of centering your, you know, project delivery on an analytics driven process is that then you get those analytics for the rest of the life of that building. Mm. And we find with our clients, it's really hard to justify, you know, adding analytics to a building. I think there's been a lot of discussion about that. And like, how do you, you know, how do you kind of justify that, that investment? Is it in, you know, maintenance or is it in thermal comfort or is it in energy savings? There's all those, you know, that's that conversation, but like a lot of that goes away when like you're dealing with like a multi-million dollar construction project and it's like, oh yeah, analytics, that's just another, you know, X thousands of dollars. That's like dropping the bucket versus like having to go through a big old rigmarole on the existing building side. Yeah. That's a good one. Uh, yeah, I'll add like one more practical side of that too, which is kind of an interesting finding from the field that we didn't think of when we were doing it. But automated testing allows us to do a lot of testing at night during the construction phase. I mean, obviously, you could do that during operations too, but particularly during construction when during the day you've got fire alarm testing and they're doing power shutdowns and you know everybody's just trying to get their work done and it's a mess like the construction site's a mess it's really hard to do good testing and so all that stops at night generally just leave the systems running in auto and then you can do automated testing at night really get to see what happens you've got your punch list in the morning ready to go and that's turned out to be super impactful in the way um, that construction projects work. Fascinating. Hey guys, just another quick note from our sponsor, Nexus Labs, and then we'll get back to the show. This episode is brought to you by Nexus Foundations, our introductory course on the smart buildings industry. If you're new to the industry, this course is for you. If you're an industry vet, but want to understand how technology is changing things, this course is also for you. The alumni are raving about the content, which they say pulls it all together. And they also loved getting to meet the other students on the weekly Zoom calls and in the private chat room. You can find out more about the course at courses.nexuslabs.online. All right, back to the interview. So what are the keys? You guys have been doing this for five plus, seven plus years or whatever. What are the keys to sort of taking the commissioning process as it exists today in most buildings? and sort of inserting analytics into it. And this is probably like a three hour discussion that we could hopefully fit into yeah. a couple of minutes. <laughs> I think, well, it's probably maybe just before we hop into like our battle scars from that is like maybe how, how we use it. Like I think Jim has kind of covered that at a high level, but it's, you know, when we're talking about data-driven commissioning, it's, it's pulling, you know, real-time data from whatever is, is creating that out in the field. And so the bulk of that's from the BMS system, but, you know, we pull stuff from lighting system, their energy meters or other kind of like package systems. And then you just trend that and organize that in a way that like your commission agents can, can use it. So it's like, just, it's, it's got value in that, like Jim said previously, you know, building engineers, the, the designers of this, you know, they love this data. It's like, oh, I can actually see what this thing is, is doing. Like that's, it's it's treasure trove of, of information for them. And so it's just got value from that of just like, if you're trying to troubleshoot something and you can go pull down, like, what are my, what are all my fan operating conditions and, not, and map those against my VAV or, what, or whatever. It's just like a good analysis of just having that data. So like, it's got, that's one way we use it. Then there's the FDD portion of that, right? Like letting the, 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 you know, FDD portion take care of some of this, of the issues that you would typically functionally test for. And so those are running all the time. And so you can use that FDD portion of it to, to do some of your functional testing for you. But it obviously doesn't replace 
going out and looking at equipment, there's still that kind of boots on the ground piece of it. But there's just the FDD always running in the background, this passive piece of testing. There's active testing, like Jim talked about, right? Where we're going to like force the functions. We're going to automate testing, see how this stuff happens. You know, oftentimes the analysis of that can be either through FDD or like popping up the trends in the morning and see how our chiller is staged and, oh, we got stuck at you know, this stage. We never got beyond it. Something's wrong there. And then I think something that we can talk a little bit more about is like, you can also just like monitor KPIs and monitor the performance of the building as, as it's going through this process. So maybe not doing discrete functional testing, but just what is the performance of the system as I'm measuring. So like when we talk about analytics driven commissioning, it's kind of a mixture of each of those. And we kind of pull in different pieces of that, depending on what the project is, how complicated it is, like what, what are the specific things we're, we're looking at. So helpful to just put that out there before diving into the yeah. kind of like what can go wrong with all of that and like how, how hard is that? You know, I think I probably said data 20 times in the last minute there, right? Getting the data is probably the, the number one thing that is, can be a trip up. And so really in the new construction context, that requires just like a lot of discussion and coordination about when stuff is happening so that the commissioning provider or you know, sometimes the client, if they're doing that for themselves, can just know when that data is available. And then a kind of a constant monitoring of that data to make sure it doesn't go away, right? Stuff, it's a construction. There's like people, you know, cutting wires, like moving stuff around. You got to kind of keep an eye on that to make sure your flows are always kind of still, still there. So the way we've gotten around that is just bringing that concept very early in the process and making sure everyone's aware that you know we need to have data in this project early. There's trickle down implications of that. Our you know IT rooms need to be up and running. Okay, what are the IT room requirements? Oh, they have to have conditioning. They have to have key cards. They have to have you know kind of like painted plywood everywhere. Oh, okay. Well, now we got to start talking about when we're going to like. There's all that knock on stuff that is can be intimidating, but you know if you just kind of like get people in the room, like people will advocate for themselves. And if you kind of like say like, here's our, here's our goal. What do we need to do to reach that? Then like we found that people will kind of like help craft that schedule together. I'd say that the maybe last piece on that data one is probably uh, a lot of headaches are caused if you do not include the IT team from the client early. You know, there's a ton of different ways to set up BAS networks. Like you've, you've got plenty of hours of, of content on that, James, but like, you know, having the people in the room to, to really make sure that that network architecture and connections to that are going to be past muster with everyone is really critical early on in the construction phase. I'll add and pull it back a little earlier, even pre-startup kind of is, is design, you know, really looking at if we want to get the most out of the data and the most data we can, what is the design and selection of all these different systems to make sure we're gonna get those data, right? And there's a lot of examples of isolated, you know, stranded data systems out there because it wasn't provisioned to have a connection. When I know, you know, I could connect to that computer room air conditioning unit and get all these data to help the commissioning process, but if no one dragged a cable over there and connected it so that we could have access to it, it's, it doesn't do anybody any good. And there's so many examples of that. So really taking a thoughtful look at in the design and the controls submittal package, are we getting and maximizing everything we could. The other thing that we've learned is obviously you have to impact the specifications with, you know, how does this flow through the trades? And a major one that we've worked a lot on is standardizing point naming, right? So that when you see data, when, it, when it's finally available after all that headache of getting the IT rooms right and, you know, all that, that stuff that we don't have, you know, the Wild West and how points were named and configured which just makes it much harder to, to get to an organized database that you can use software on. And if you, if you manage the design process and, 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 and buyout and, and submittal process with your contractors, 
well, you can enforce all that and no, it's no surprise. And then they, you know, just do it. And if they don't do it, well, it's in the contract document. So you gotta go fix it. And it makes it way easier to start early, think about your specs, think about your standards and naming and, and what automation system you're using and how that's gonna parlay into getting access to, to all those data. Yeah, and I think the reason I wanted to like bring this up with you guys, and thank you for the for the real talk, just like explaining how the you know I can tell that there's challenges that have been, you know, navigated for many years. Technology involves people, processes, and the right tool, right? And so this is something we stress in our foundations course, but that applies here too. You can't just bolt a new tool onto an existing antiquated process and expect everyone to just automatically adjust to that new tool, right? So it's, if, if you're a commissioning agent out there and you're like, this sounds really cool, like rethink how you want to approach this, approach this strategically from the beginning of the project, ideally from the client's perspective as well, have them buy in, have them get everybody else to buy in. That's what I would say as advice as someone who's gone through this <laughs> before. Yeah, absolutely. So let's let's transition a little bit. So Jim, Jim, when you and I first started talking about this podcast, you weren't talking about commissioning to me. You were talking about construction, and I was surprised by that because I was like, I I don't actually know what you're going to talk about. So let's unpack that a little bit. So let's zoom out from let's zoom out from the commissioning process to the overall construction process. Talk to me about your your current thinking around how that can be improved. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, it's interesting, and you'll see like on the industry, right, um, or on the market that that we're all kind of part of in some way. Most of the focus for data analytics is for existing buildings, right? To support some kind of operational workflow and dashboarding, whatever. And I, I, I understand that makes sense in a, at, at a certain scale, right? Because again, like most buildings exist, so that's a big market, right? In commissioning, right? We hit a lot of the new construction projects. We also are in existing buildings, but what we found is it, just to your point, you're just making change, right? Like if you just bolted analytics on, to the normal construction delivery process. And you said, I'm gonna wait till the end and I'll use the data to just validate that it's working at the very end. Well, that, that actually is still gonna add some value, right? Cause you're gonna have more rich context and be able to do, have better insights and it's still continuous data stream, those kinds of things. So there's value in that, but you've missed out on a lot of potential to impact the actual delivery process. And that's something that we've, been exploring for the past year or two in trying to pull into how do we actually impact the delivery process and use data to help the builders and their trade subcontractors earlier instead of just waiting to the end to tell them that it doesn't work, right? So right. we really know there's more opportunity if we could get in there earlier. The other interesting thing that we found, you know, we, we often work and, and we'll go more into like, what does this mean like process wise in a minute, but just to tee up more of the why, what we found is, you know, we often work for the owner. So we're, we're on the owner's team. We're, we're, we're kind of on the outside of the actual delivery process of the building because general contractor owns all the contracts with the subcontractors you know, the buck stops with them once they buy it, they have to meet the owner's requirements and like the commissioning specification and all these things. But at that phase, the contractor really has the leverage. Yeah. Um, which is a little counterintuitive, right? It's like the owner's paying the bill, but it's already bought out based on all those documents and everything. And so what we found is when we start to work directly for the builders, or at least with them, even from the owner's angle, there's way more, there can be a lot more leverage on the outcomes. And a lot of that has to do with where we're at in the process, like advising through the process. And that's that was unexpected, I think, for us. We did not anticipate that, but 
things, you know, we get in a, if you're on the owner side of the table and you want to try to improve something that wasn't on the contract documents, let's say, or was gray area, we could sit there and have a fight with all the contractors forever about like who owes what and how much more it's going to cost. And then you can go round and round. When, when, you, when you're on the build team side and you can say, well, this, this is more efficient and we're going to have better delivery and we're going to have a shorter risk window at the end, like you can get that decision made in five minutes. Yeah, and keep totally. And it, it's, it's been fascinating for us to be a part of that. Yeah, I think another kind of lens on that is that I was just at a commissioning conference a couple months ago, and like as one of the panels, they had a commissioning agent who had crossed over to the dark side, as they said, and was now an MEP coordinator for like a major GC. Yeah. And it was like a further validation of kind of what Jim said is that like there's you know, the builders want to do a really good job, but this woman was relaying just like, you commissioning yahoos out there have no idea how much stuff comes across my plate as an MEP coordinator. Like I'm trying my damnedest, but like I've got so much stuff to take care of. Like I have to juggle a tower crane schedule and like shipments of ductwork that got delayed by two weeks. And, you know, this subcontractor who bought out this subcontractor, but now that subcontractor is like gone belly up. So now it's just like, there's so much stuff for like an MEP coordinator or a GC in general to kind of deal with that, like whether or not the fan coil is like optimizing its fan power is like not even close to like what they have time for. And I think that it's, it's as commission agents, like that was our very narrow lens of, of like, oh, you guys just don't care. Like you guys are just trying to like, kind of like, you know, ignore all these facts. And it's like, they kind of are, but that's just because they're trying to get the building built. And like, that's got its own value and you still have to build the building. So I think that it, it's, uh, it's, it's not that the, general contractors don't care about this like building performance stuff it's just they don't quite have the data information like the information to really drive that process well and so we are finding that using a lot of the same tools as from the commissioning process like if we just apply those to the construction process then yeah the general contractor cares and wants to fix it and exactly to what Jim said earlier the you know, the mechanical contractor is like at that table, literally in that morning being like, oh, I've got a fan coil on my punch list. Okay, great. I'll go fix that. And then you fixed your fan coil and now you don't have to think about it ever again. Right. So it's just like a way more efficient way to drive performance, which has been really cool because like, that's what we're all, I mean, we said it, I don't know, at the top of this thing about like what we're all about is just like delivering performance. And we've got a really good way to do that now. Yeah. Let me, let me share the typical transparency model from a project. And anyone who's been a part of the pointy end, as Elliot said, that last three to six months of a construction project can, can totally sympathize with this. You know, there's a controls contractor who's responsible for a lot of the making it work part, right? Yeah. And that controls contractor is contracted to, is a subcontractor to a mechanical contractor. The mechanical contractor is a subcontractor to the general contractor. So you've got a second tier subcontractor who kind of controls the performance of a lot of the building systems. And so you're sitting in a MEP or commissioning meeting and it's like, yeah, we're done with floor one. Like floor one is done, says the project manager who's like gotten a word from another project manager who gotten word from a technician, let's say from the field. And you got three degrees of like, you know, phone tag in there. And that's all that the general contractor has to go on to say, we're ready for commissioning. Like it's ready to be tested. Like you guys told me it's done. And there's like seven caveats coming from the controls contractor and another like six caveats coming from the mechanical contractor who goes to this. And nothing like, but there's no way to see, there's no way to like quickly say like, yeah, it's ready. And so then you bring the commissioning agent out who's like, you know, got their clipboard and is ready to say like, show me that it works. Yeah. And then nothing works. 
inevitably the first time. And you're like, guys, what the hell? Tell me you're ready. Yeah. Like, and the general contractor's like, guys, what the hell are we doing here? You told me it was ready. And the mechanical contractor's like, guy, you told me, I mean, it's just like, what is happening? And it's to Elliot's point, none of these people want to, they all want it to work, but everybody's doing their own job and like there's telephone and there's just no easy way to know what the heck is actually happening. I think about like, I always use this analogy for general contractors. You know, a general contractor doesn't actually do anything except for coordinate all the subcontractors. They don't swing hammers and build stuff, right? Their job is to make sure everybody else does their job, right? And manage yeah. risk and things like that. So they can walk down the hall and see if the door is missing or the window's not put in correctly, or if it's not painted or whatever, right? Carpet, all things you can see, piping, whatever. You get into the technology systems and what's happening in the guts of all these different systems and how it's actually operating, delivering performance. Not a single thing to see, right? So it's a whole different world, especially the smarter and smarter and smarter these buildings get, a more integration of systems, there's nothing to see, like to validate it from a general contractor's perspective. And that's just not fair. <laughs> so a lot of what we've been bringing to that industry is ability to actually see it and see what's happening and what's the actual status and bring that kind of transparency that brings accountability. Because then instead of arguing about whether it's done or not in the hall, then you look at the data. Like, look, it's not done. The data are telling me that. Oh, okay, I'll go fix it. All right. So give me some examples here. So we've talked about commissioning that scope of work. There's also all these other scopes of work. How would another trade actually use the data? Let's talk like practical. Yeah, maybe I'll jump in there first, Elliot. You can add what we're trying to do is make the data available. So in the typical process we mentioned was like, the, you, you know, you use trend data or something at the end, right? What we're trying yeah. to do is pull that all the way up. So as soon as a piece of equipment or technology is online, we're looking at the data. Got and we can validate it right then. So we're talking about often months before you would actually be in some you know, final testing or validation phase of the project. Yeah. And so, that's important because that's when all the, the right people are there, the startup technicians there who actually knows the thing. And you know, the, the BAS contractor has more people on site and they're working in that area. And you know, there's you're not dealing with like demobilization and things that happen at the tail end of a construction project. You've got the people. So you're telling me that this is ready or it's at least online, I can very quickly tell you it's got these problems. You know, oh yeah, like 46 out of 52 are good, but these six, you know, none of them have hot water or they all have bad temperature discharge sensors or whatever, you know, like all that's gonna happen when you're building these custom buildings. And uh, it's about speed to information to get back into that workflow so that the contract, subcontractor teams can take that information. So if I'm the mechanical contractor in charge of making sure all those VAV boxes have hot water or whatever, I can, I can get that information like, oh, a whole zone is dead. Like you've got a problem in your pipe, you know, distribution pipe. Okay, we got to go fix that now. And we get that much, much earlier in the process. It starts to inform your test and balance process and all your pre-functional checkouts. So by the time you get to the pointy pointy end, it, it's working. And you can focus on tuning and optimization, the final tweaks at that phase versus, you know, like so much stuff is broken. We can't even see what's happening, which is not atypical in a, a, a testing phase of, a, of most buildings. I would say to be candid, though, we're still seeing slower adoption by some of the trades of this approach. You know, we've been doing this for a couple of years and, you know, with our data, we always have a mindset of like, we'll hand out logins like candy. Like everyone has data. Like that's the whole point of it. It's like transparent. 
you know, go, everyone should have access to it. And, you know, there, like Jim said, there's, there's really big advantages for like BAS contractors to do point to point, like a little more efficient or tab contractors to like kind of like pre-validate something before I go deploy everybody to this build, this corner of the building, let's just validate this stuff. And we're trying to drive that as best we can, but we haven't seen the contractors really take the reins of that quite yet. I mean, I think that we're hopeful that that will continue to evolve in that way. But I think there's just, you know, we're on, we're on that part of the adoption curve of that. Yeah. Um, well, what, what I heard from you guys is the, like, it took several years to disrupt and change the commissioning process. This is a bigger scope than that, right? So changing all these other processes as well. Yeah. Exciting, I actually think it'll happen faster. I think the construction industry will adopt this approach faster than the commissioning industry. I mean, let's be frank, like most commissioning agents are not using data still. I mean, I've been giving presentations on every commissioning agent should be using data analytics and commissioning since 2013. <laughs> and there's still the vast majority who don't. And they're starting yeah. to be into in certain cases. And I don't know, I think it's maybe just because it's hard, people don't like change. I'm not sure. I, it's completely unsatisfying to me to do it the other way. So it's hard to even remember. But the construction industry, the alignment on value and risk with data analytics is very direct. Hmm. So the smart contractors that we work with, which we work with some great contractors who, when we get done and even coming from the owner side and we'll push into this role from the owner side, because like, trust us, you're going to want this. And by the end of the project, they're saying, I'll never do a project without data analytics. Well, What's coming to mind is like, so you guys haven't heard this episode yet, but there's an episode coming out by the time this one gets published on kind of uniting the OPR with the handover process, like basically performance-based construction essentially is what they were talking about. I don't know if they use that exact word, but we'll link we should, to that. We should have episode. been on the same podcast. That's that's yeah. exactly what we're going for here. Yeah. Yeah. So what's coming to mind to me is like there's an OPR at the beginning, and now you're holding the contractor to accountable for are yeah. you hitting these numbers right now? <laughs> right. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Yeah. I'm yeah. seeing for those of you on audio, I'm seeing like huge head shakes, <laughs> huge thumbs, thumbs up here. Yeah, I think that that I mean you nailed it there. We have seen huge like alignment and efficiency in like what the project should be focused on by by daylighting key performance indicators, often driven from the OPR, but that are are yeah performance indicators of that building, right? I think coming back to like you know the the description of what commissioning was, you know. Uh, half hour ago, it's like, you know, it's, it's an indication of like, is the building right? Is it doing what it should be doing? And like, if you can kind of display that all the way throughout the construction process, then it allows the owner to really feel confident in the building they're giving, which is like a huge benefit from the contractor side, which is why I think Jim indicates that like smart contractors are going to get on board with this quickly because yeah. It's just way like they're going to be delivering a better, well, better vetted project to their clients. But I think the real value is um, you can point your team at the biggest problems much more efficiently rather than waiting for them to come up at the end. And so there's huge efficiencies and, and just risk mitigation in in kind of like tracking that. So like in in our projects, you know, we've got KPIs for kind of like pressure, pressure of all the operating rooms in this building. We can validate, like, are you within what you should be for how much percent of the time? It's so easy for the GC and for the owner as that project is nearing completion to be like, yep, we're nailing it and we're nailing it, we're nailing it. Wait, something happened here where all of a sudden this suite of ORs went down. We need to go fix that. Yeah, we need to go fix that like ASAP or find out like, oh, we were doing fire alarm testing. Okay, not a big deal. But like, if you don't know why, then you can go and solve that problem quickly. And that's, it. it's just like such a much more transparent way to 
drive towards the a clear finish line and turn it over with like no ambiguity about is it working? Yeah, it's the key is that quantified pass fail, right? So you do that in all these functional performance tests of the commissioning agent, but it's like little like line items that make the fit, you know, make the fan just, you know, fail a pump or whatever and make it switch over like fan. It's a very line by line. So this is a way to look at a, at a whole air handling system and say, I expected it to use this many watts per CFM, or I expect the economizer to work this way or have this type of supplier temperature control within this bound that was defined by the OPR, right? Or energy metrics you know, BTUs per square foot, like whatever you want to do, you can then make it a pass fail criteria that's continuous now. Yeah. And so you can mix that together with FDD, which is more root cause, right? You can mix that with functional testing, which is, you know, more like checkout one time and you have your KPIs too. So it's more continuous. And that's super powerful, that mix of things. You, you, you kind of need all of them, but the dashboard of the, the KPIs is what you can look at at any time and say, where am I at right now? Yeah. And what's it going to take to get across the finish line and make this building really work like we said it would or we that we bought that it would? I love this thinking because it's, it's no longer like, how can we slip analytics into this project and make the commissioning process more efficient? It's like, how does analytics impact every stakeholder that's impact that's working on this project and how can we kind of put it in their terms, right? And yeah. that's, that's what I feel like we need more of in the industry. So I think that's a good place to kind of wrap up. I'd love to ask you guys kind of what, let's look forward a little bit as we conclude this episode. What are you kind of looking forward to as kind of the next phase in the industry right now? Yeah, I'll, I'll start, I'll steal Elliot's thunder. I mean, our, our 2022 focus is pretty clear. Performance-based project delivery is what we really wanna um, lean into. So that's this fusing of these multi-modes of using the commissioning process, using the construction delivery process, using FDD and, and, and using performance-based criteria to achieve meaningful performance is a huge, I, I think the industry is still way behind, like I said, even using analytics. So we're trying to push into this whole new phase of performance base. And I, I just think it's, our observation is the, the impact of that mindset on projects has been massive for all the stakeholders, to your point. It's not, now it's not just the owner, but the construction team and, you know, the operators and the capital programs people, you know, every, the sustainability people, they're all getting what they want with that performance-based delivery approach. And, you know, I think it's incredibly important. Cool. I'm excited about that. How about you, Elliot? Yeah, I mean, Jim did a pretty good job of stealing my thunder, but I think that maybe I'll go maybe farther beyond that near term, because I do think we have seen like every client that we've kind of brought this to, they're like, oh, yeah, we want that tomorrow. Like that part, I think, is a pretty easy to comprehend for them. But what I think was is maybe a bit more theoretical, but super interesting and kind of gets back to the core of like what Altura is about is like really like driving performance in buildings is, is like if we feel so confident in the construction phase that we're going to nail this project delivery, then can we extend the kind of like involvement of that construction team into the operations phase and really start to like smooth out what is what is historically a very large bump between the construction and the operations teams like how do we start to merge like the information and the the delivery of that performance into something that the operations team can really kind of like leverage and just build off of or maybe there's like new delivery models of how how you are how you're delivering and maintaining that those, pro those assets, right? And so it's not just, we're gonna turn it over to the operations team. It's that 
I'm also on the hook to operate this building for long term. And those historically have existed, but I think that like it's interesting to understand what a transparent data layer can do to to that industry that kind of makes it a little bit less scary to sign up for I'm gonna buy the buy a building and its operation from somebody. Like if I have more data on it, clients might be more willing to do that. Yeah, totally. It's not just handover to the first operator, it's handover when it gets bought the next time and the next time yeah. as well. Fascinating. Well, fellas, this has been fun. Thanks so much for everything you do and kind of the leadership you provide in the industry. It's awesome. Yeah, thank you. It's always a pleasure and looking forward to more. All right, friends, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nexus Podcast. For more episodes like this and to get the weekly Nexus newsletter, which, by the way, readers have said is the best way to stay up to date on the future of the smart building industry, please subscribe at nexuslabs.online. You can find the show notes for this conversation there as well. Have a great day.